Welcome back to the United Pubcast, Manchester United 2, Crystal Palace 1, as Manchester United move up the Premier League ladder. Uh, felt like a while before or in between Premier League games, Arsenal and Crystal Palace, it was a while, but Manchester United returned to winning ways and an important win if you look at the sort of results around the grounds. Um, that gave us a lot of joy in seeing teams drop points, um, but you only get that joy if you take the points, and Manchester United did that. Um, far too familiar over the recent seasons. We failed to capitalise on other teams dropping points this time. Backs against the wall, um, hard 90 minutes against Crystal Palace, but we got the job done. So that is all you can ask for. We will dissect the ins and outs and a little bit of fallout and controversy and um, will affect uh, future games, um, especially ahead of the League Cup final. But I've um, got Vin in as a late injury replacement for Larry, um, very similar to Veghorst in for Anthony Martial, um, who can't seem to stay fit at the moment. But um, Vin, end of the week, uh, Manchester United finish, finish it in very good style. Thank you for having me, Tom. Yeah, it's 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 been a, a very refreshing United performance. Uh, again, as the tagline says, "Fighting for the badge." Uh, it's been it's been ages, right? Like when at least I know ages, but over the last few years, when all of the so-called big six or big four uh, dropped points, and what happened when when it was United's turn to make uh, to make some ground, we either drew the game or either we lost it. So. It, it's kind of refreshing to see uh, us winning and uh, taking advantage of those uh, uh, drop points by our uh, so-called rivals, which actually uh, brings us to the next position of the table. I mean, we were fourth and now we are on third. So it, it, is, it is a kind of an improvement. It's a small one, but again, performing when it really matters and making use of all these advantages is what kind of defines the team. You say small improvements, but very true, but also much-needed improvements. So we definitely need it. So I'll say good to some people in the live chat. George, good to see you, mate. Newcastle fan Shane, good mate of ours. Um, any chance United try to hit the red overturn that gets a made to a four-game ban? It will be interesting. United won't touch the ban. They won't appeal it at all. However, if there was a situation, United, a lot of United fans would be calling for it. I think the potential risk is obviously potentially missing that League Cup game. So um, I think Casemiro will miss those three Premier League games and it'll be available for Barcelona. And Newcastle in the Cup SJ here, club should appeal a red card, no chance of that connection. Look, I tend to agree because it's not a red card, card, but the Premier League and the FA, um, Manchester and I don't have a great relationship. So who knows what will happen there. George, g'day lads, solid performance till the red card. Maybe we might see Lindelof playing with Sabitza and Bruno in midfield. I did make that point in a group chat we had earlier today. I said in one of the Leeds games, I think Lindelof will play. I don't know which one, home or away. Um, Get your opinions in, but I do like that shout, George. Rob here with obviously a tribute to Munich. We will touch on Munich um, at the end. Obviously, this today is the 65th anniversary of that 3-3 draw against Red Star Belgrade. And then obviously tomorrow will be the 6th of February. Um, we'll remember. Um, so stay tuned to the end of the stream and um, we'll tell you what we're doing tomorrow. Dion, good to see you, mate. Even all the EPL is clear, the world's premier sporting club, but bloody hell, so much of it is in the dark ages. The NRL is way out in front in many ways. I think obviously referring to um, <coughs> VAR and that decision, We'll get into that now. Very frustrating. But Matt, good to see you as always. Sally, good to see you. Great result despite Casemiro sending off. Completely right. And um, lads, Chris, good to see you, mate. On that, Vin, and we'll get into sort of the start 11 and everything, but just on Casemiro, it is the elephant in the room. Obviously, a huge result for Manchester United. One was a good performance, and obviously, you go a man down, you have to hold on. We move up the ladder, so good result, good feeling. You see Arsenal drop points. You see Chelsea drop points. You see Liverpool get smacked. It is this, such a good feeling. Casemiro gets sent off and it's, oh, geez, what's happened here? It's almost, it almost feels a little bit disastrous. I'm just thinking, what's your overriding emotion after the game? Is it, one, you're looking at the table and fantastic Manchester United, one, and moved up, great, or is it Casemiro sort of overshadowing it a little bit for you? 
So uh, as an eternal optimist, right, I, I look at it in this way. Um, Casemiro getting a ban is indeed, uh, it, it, some, a lot of us might be thinking it's actually, that's it, we are done, we might be dropping points or anything. But at the same time, it's going to give opportunities for people who haven't had their, uh, have had a chance to perform at their best. And when the club really needs them, it's their chance to let Eric know that they can still be trusted and they can still do the job. Uh, another thing is we've been over the last few weeks or at least a month or two, especially after the World Cup, we've been over-reliant on Rashford and Casemiro. So this kind of also gives the fans a bit of a reality check. Like yeah. even though we have had games where Casemiro didn't play and we have won it, uh, but, but still uh, it does give us a reality check on, okay, if we of course, it's going to be he's going to be impacted by a ban. But at least we can say, in case if the depth of the squad is good enough, in case unfortunate due to un unfortunate circumstances, if he ends up getting injured or something of that kind, uh, it, it kind of uh, allows Ten Hag to come up with a new game plan in mind without Casemiro in, and also at the same time allows people who've been waiting on the trenches for quite a while uh, because Casemiro has been so unplayable that uh, un unreplaceable. So. Uh, so that's this is the time when they grasp those chances and uh, make themselves noticed. That's that's how I look at it. Yeah. Well, I think you do have to be optimistic. Well, yes, you know, would obviously prefer Casemiro there, but ultimately you look at it and think he's the one player we say needs to be rested. Again, we've got huge games, obviously Leeds twice and then Leicester, obviously, but in terms of the big games, the proper big games around that in regards to success is Barcelona twice. And then the League Cup final. So the, the optimist in me will say, well, he's fresh for Barcelona two games, which we'll need him for, and we'll definitely need him for the League Cup final. Teams have beaten Leeds this season wherever they're on the table without Casemiro. I'm sure Leeds have lost two games this season. The other teams didn't have Casemiro. So the, <laughs> Manchester United can win games without Casemiro. Obviously, it'd be better if he's there. But obviously, we've got a, play, a player who came in and did quite well. We'll discuss him a little bit later in regards to Sabitzer. I'm not sure if he's going to be the direct replacement, but I think he gets thrown in the deep end with Fred for one of the Leeds games. We'll discuss Lindelof a little bit earlier, but um, it will be interesting. Ultimately, we prefer to have him, but he now he's rested for those Barcelonas and obviously the cup final because the last thing you'd need is him to get injured against Leicester and then miss the second leg against Barcelona or miss the cup final. We think, oh, God, we should have been resting him in that game. So it is one of those things. Um, so he did well without Casemiro against Arsenal. The team progressed enough over the season to be okay with, um, without him for three games. I agree. Um, Dion here, I did get the red, uh, but the three-match ban when the bloke elbowed Martinez a couple of weeks ago didn't even copy other. Even that and Andy Carroll. Now, I know Andy Carroll ended up getting a red card, but for the actual tackle on Christian Eriksen, it was nothing. So just on the red card being in regards to, we've discussed the ramifications of the red card in terms of his suspension and what that means for the team. But in regards to the incident, in my opinion, it's not a red card. Uh, I think it's a shocking decision. Now, he, I don't think he can have any complaints in regards to the way the game is officiated these days. However, it's not a red card. I don't think he has him by the neck. I think he has him by the shirt. And just the closed fist looks like he has him by the neck. Obviously, there's no reaction from Hughes. I think the players from Crystal Palace. So it's one of those things. You see one of the slow motions the VAR looks at. looks at possibly like a bad incident. The ones really close up from the fan footage from in the grandstand. There's nothing in it. He's literally almost not pulling towards. He's almost like pushing him back. So to just make sure that no one gets hurt here is kind of de-escalating the situation. But in terms of when you slow the video down, as they did in VAR, and their narrative that they can easily send him off there. So he can have no complaints. However, what did you make of the... Where do you want to touch on the incident in regards to is Casimir at fault? 
do you look at Anthony in regards to when if he doesn't run back and sort of push the guy that nothing really escalates? I'm not blaming Anthony for Casemiro's actions, but does Anthony sort of hold any fault or are you just sort of going to take positives from it and look at Manchester United, Anthony was picked on and that Man United fans or Man United players came in to sort of protect him. Well, that's the positive I look at it in regards to there was a fighting spirit um, in the team. Ultimately, we did pay the price of a red card, but um, I did see positives in what I saw. So over the over the last few years, when any of these kind of incidents do take place, it was actually either uh, it was either uh, a Lingard who was stepping up when he was around, or Fred for for sure. And to see now, that's how that's what Eric has done to the whole team, right? Fighting for each other, fighting for the team. Uh, when one person is down, the whole team steps up and. Of course, the, the corresponding actions that took place after the whole incident, it's it's, it's a bit tricky, right? Uh, I, I, I was just watching that before I jumped onto the pod, and I noticed that there was this one particular frame in that whole uh, VAR sequence where you can literally see that when Casemiro leaves it, he's actually leaving the uh, the fabric of the shirt. He's not grabbing him by the neck. But that's that's the sad part of uh, VAR. But because when the when they are when the referees are called upon to look at the screen and have a look at it, they are just given one particular frame. It's like it's less than uh, probably less than two seconds. They have just given one frame and go ahead take that decision. So they don't look at anything else. They don't look at anything else. They don't look at the other person who is actually punching Fred. They don't look at the the initial uh, initial issue that actually caused this whole ruckus. They don't look at all that. So VAR, as uh, someone in the comments said, it's really flawed and it needs to be improved really well. Uh, but from Cas Casemiro's, uh, I wouldn't call him. I wouldn't say he has to be blamed. But again, he has this experience uh, of playing in the La Liga, which is more rough and which is uh, which I, I I don't think so. The referees out there are snow are really snowflakes. I can say as compared to the ones in the Premier League and. Uh, and as you said, uh, Manchester United always had a, a big issue with the FA or with the or, or with the VAR. We haven't give, been given penalty. Well, it was, it was my next point on Eric Ten Hag. He's come out and look, Eric Ten Hag in the press conferences this season, since he's walked in the door, hasn't put a foot wrong. I absolutely love listening to him after a win, after a loss, after a draw, whenever. And again today, in, in regards to his reaction to that, he's asked about it and he said, look, Casemiro, okay, you can argue who was in the wrong, who, who's in the wrong. Well, Crystal, players, Crystal Palace players are in the wrong. In terms of, he's not blaming VAR, he's not blaming them for results or injuries or anything, but he's saying he's putting out the facts there that we're not getting the rub of the green. Now, do you think if that was Jose Mourinho would say mind games, if it's Jurgen Klopp would say it's mind games, if it's Stephen Gerald Lampard will say they're whinging sort of thing? So, just your what do you think, Eric Ten Hag's angle? Do you think he's just speaking honestly, or do you think he's trying to what Jurgen Klopp did all those years ago in terms of getting the referees sort of ear? and sort of change the perception. And remember when Jurgen Klopp said, man, you know, to get too many penalties, we stopped getting penalties. So I'm just, do you think there is an angle from Eric Ten Hag in regards to pointing out the flaws and the lack of luck we're getting from VAR? Do you think he's going up from that angle or do you think he's just speaking honestly and just saying, this is what it is? It would... uh, over the last few months, when we saw Eric Ten Hag, whenever he spoke, he's been diplomatic in certain areas, and he is uh, again he has called spade a spade in certain areas, right? But over here, I I really feel he doesn't have any motives to get into the refs or the referee boards here of uh, 
you know, take care of us as well or any of those kinds. He was just speaking honest. He was just being very honest in uh, what actually United went through, especially in today's decision. And it was, uh, I, I don't think uh, it it was any manipulative. And I, I don't think it should be even, uh, I really hope the referee board or any of the other managers does not make a huge deal out of it because they know that the whole uh, system of VAR is a bit flawed. So I, I, I really feel that it's more of an uh, calling a spade a spade kind of a reaction or a statement from Tenag than any other thing. Yeah, definitely. There's a comment here a little bit earlier. SJ, uh, how long is McTominay up for? About a week ago, Merrick um, Tenhaar came said he's got a slight knock and who knows that the way I interpreted that with no information was a couple of weeks. So I assume Scott McTominay will come in back around for the League Cup final, whether he's fit to make the bench, I'm not sure. Um, so I'm not sure there hasn't been any sort of diagnosis, but it looks like a little knock. Um, obviously not a Christian Eriksen type injury, but um, who knows, hopefully he's back because we definitely need depth. This follows on to my, or segues nicely into my next point here, Vin, in regards to Dion brings up the foul by Savitza towards the end where he wins, wins the ball and plays Rashford through. Okay, shocking decision, of course. Okay, <laughs> nothing we can do about that. I just sort of want to talk about Savitza because at 2-0, you thought, okay, you can bring on Sabitza here and get on the ball and start to play. Suddenly, Casemiro gets sent off and Sabitza's job is suddenly a very different job. He's not coming in for the ideal debut. He's coming in back to the wall and has to work his ass off just to get get through the match. So I'm just thinking it wasn't ideal for Sabitza, but he came in and did a job. And I'm just thinking, well, now obviously he's going to be thrown in the deep end. He starts the next match against Leeds, no doubt about that. But just what did you make of Sabitza? Because it was so close to coming on and just being perfect situation for him. Get on the ball and dictate play, get in the box, try and grab a goal. Then ultimately, he's just having to do doggies for the last 20 minutes. So what did you make of his performance? I thought he came on and, yeah, looked at home, did his job. Yeah, he, he did a pretty good job out there, especially with... Uh, uh, if, you, if you've if seen Palace over the last few games, especially when we played away against them, the last 15 minutes or the last 20 minutes, that when uh, Palace comes alive, the whole team wants to get something or anything out of the game. And that's the same thing that happened today, whether or not... Uh, whether or not we were a man down or not. So for Sabitzer to come in and uh, uh, and defensive capabilities, or I can say, is, is something that's not his higher forte or heavier forte. So for him to come in and do that and ensure that we get all the three points, not that he has been, because of him, we got the three points, but he kind of did his job. He could have gone into a hiding and we could have even lost oh, the yeah. game, leave alone equalize it. So... He's done, a, he's done a pretty good job. Not the start, not the debut he would have expected. But uh, again, uh, yeah, not a performance we'll be remembering Sabitzer for. Not what he would have wanted. But I'm quite sure he will make it up for it when he starts against Leeds uh, next week. Well, great introduction for him. If he scores against Leeds, welcome to Manchester United. But before we get into 3-2-1 and discussing individual performances, there were the goals. Obviously, Bruno Fernandes slots home a penalty. Interesting. Interesting that Rashford didn't take it, and just in terms of the goal scoring form, uh, but Rashford ended up getting his goal. But Bruno Fernandez, okay, might, might be the designated penalty taker as of now. So it's a penalty, good penalty. The Rashford goal, everyone leave a like on this goal. Was this the best goal this season? Now, I'm sure there's been a strike that's been better. Um, Rejog my memory, there's probably an obvious one I'm missing. But ultimately, from the back playing out, maybe the Arsenal game, Anthony's goal, maybe that was a great player from memory. But ultimately, the football we played in and around the box here. And my main surprise was Aaron Wan-Bissaka was at the heart of it. He was dropping into midfield and played two or three really key passes in the move. But ultimately, go back and watch, I think it was 14 or 15 passes in the build-up and it gradually increased speed towards their box and obviously resulted in Garnacho with a good little play and playing the ball out to Shaw and nice easy finish for Rashford. 
what we want. So most. in terms of uh, over the years, sorry to interrupt, but over the years we've seen a Manchester City goal. Yeah, we know what they score like. A Manchester United goal in the nineties, early two thousands. Yeah, we know what it looked like. Over the last ten years, a Manchester United goal was it fell to us and we scored. Okay, we celebrated, but it was no, it was just a goal. This looked like a goal that was worked on and sort of something they don't definitely do on the training ground. It, it looked like what you see Manchester City do over the last ten years. So that mention of a goal actually makes me smile and makes me kind of beaming because uh, before, uh, so I was just watching that particular goal on replay and I was just having a discussion with my wife. Like we were like, can you believe this was the United we saw uh, a year ago, <laughs> where mm-hmm. like nothing was going our way? Uh, I know people will blame a particular individual who had left uh, and uh, or or the manager or whatnot, but for us to come to this stage oh man i'm i'm so glad that uh we are kind of we we can we we are not waiting like 30 odd years again to see i know i'm jumping the gun here but i i all i wanted was to to stop watching united play the same old boring football what we've been playing uh, even though some football under ole was really exciting but this one, uh, the gameplay, the movement. Look, there's no bigger, no bigger fan of Solskjaer than me. I think everyone knows that. And, and you're right that there was exciting football and there was exciting times under Solskjaer. However, those moments and those times and that football was not reactionary, but it was, it was off the back. It was, it was intense. It was opportunistic. It was okay. The opportunity presented itself. Let's take advantage. And there was great moments with Eric Ten Hag. It's it's intent. It's worked yeah. on it. It definitely looks sort of that there is a plan there with Solskjaer. It was okay. We can. Oh, we've got this. Okay, we'll deal with this at the moment. Eriten Hag, there is a structure and there is a plan and that intent to it um, does fill you with confidence. If we won a game, I'm not only going to Solskjaer. And look, no, no criticism. I absolutely love the guy. But if we won a game, it was, oh, God, we might lose next week. If we win a game with Eriten Hag tomorrow, I'm confident we're going to go win next week because there's that structure, that plan, that identity is there. So we'll get into three two ones In the comments, do get your three two ones because obviously a big win. So um, a few um, players are probably going to unfortunately miss out on some points in this one. But a name we haven't mentioned in the um, in the chat so far, Vin, at all, I think he's man of the match. I think it was one – I don't know if his best performance for Manchester United, but I think very close to Alessandro Martinez. I thought it was faultless. Uh, I, I thought just what you want from a centre-back when your back's against the wall in terms of a tight game, uh, one of those games that sort of need – if we qualify for top four by two or three points come May, it'll be we'll look back at games like this where you're down to 10 men and you need to hang on for 10 minutes. We're going to look back at performances like this. And ultimately, Lissandro Martinez, he just continues to impress me. Uh, yeah, especially the, the the performance after he put in, after uh, we were, we went a man down, and uh, especially the, the the clearances towards the end of the game, the blocks, it was it was really good. I mean, like, yeah, he, he deserves uh, the man of the match performances. And, of course, uh, I would I would really, really be interested uh, to see where he actually fits in into the whole uh, man of the match ranking uh, or the three to one rankings we have. Uh, uh, he, he has to get three points. I, I think from start to finish, I think he was involved in the Marcus Rashford goal as well, but he's defensive. Where Dion here, he was absolutely awesome. I agree. He's a shooting for three points. I think he was the best player on the pitch. Well, the best, best contributor on the pitch, both attacking and defensively. George here saying Martinez for three, oh. Rashford two. And Aaron Bissaka, look, Aaron Bissaka, look, Maybe someone can rejog me on the actual sort of overall approach to his performance. But ultimately, as I said, in regards to that goal, 
the criticism was we've had on one Vasaka is get on the ball. Can he do what Eric Ten Hag wants from a fullback? But ultimately, go back and watch that goal. Now, his job in that goal, it's not like killer passes or anything, but he's in there and, and making the passes. Now, that's the one thing we said, one Vasaka can't do. He won't be able to go into midfield and, and play those passes. But ultimately, he plays two, again, straightforward passes. Actually, one is a little bit sort of intentful through, through the eye of a little needle. But um, ultimately, he's impressed me just in regards to, I didn't know he had this in his locker. Now, he's not sort of world-class in that aspect, but he's doing what the manager needs. So ultimately, one Vasaka, we'll get into a discussion in regards to a point, but ultimately, uh, just have to give him um, hats off again. I think he's performing very well. Good to see Diego Delo back. Now that red card ultimately changed things, and it wasn't quite the substitution to make um, in regards to bringing Delo on at the time. I think he would have got time if it stayed two 0 But um, Juan Bissaka will be interesting. He'll play in one of the Leeds games. Delo, I think, will get the other. But um, very interesting. But oh, I think we'll go Martinez for two. Ultimately, do you want? To, oh, sorry, for three points. For two points, obviously, we do have two goal scorers there in Bruno and Rashford. I think Casemiro escapes points this week by um, the red card. Ultimately, going to look at big save by David De Gea. Now, yes, it was straight at him off the corner. I understand that it was a big save. I think if that goes in, I think that was five or ten minutes before their first goal. Suddenly, that second goal would have been two-two. So, is that enough for David De Gea? One point. I'm not sure. Let us know in the comments. But um, for two points, who are you thinking? Because I think it's unanimous. Martinez for three. But I'll open the floor to you for two points. Uh, I would, I would, uh, I would, I would actually. It, it's it's a tie for me between Rashford and De Gea. Uh, but again, uh, if you look at the contribution of what Rashford did throughout the entire match and what it's a match, match winning goal at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah, it is. So uh, that's what. But uh, as you said, if De Gea wouldn't have made that save, and especially he did one more towards the end of the game, I guess after we conceded. The first one, or is it the uh, the header? The header was before we considered the goal. So, yeah. yeah so uh, I think I think De Gea's save was much more uh, important, and also uh, off the match performance. Like after after he was done with the match, he tweeted out Mourinho's yeah. uh, that's that. <laughs> uh saying, "Okay, if I speak uh, if I speak, I'll be in big trouble." So, which is which was true, which was true. So uh, I would I would kind of give De Gea the man of the match. Uh, not the man of the match, but the two points. But even if you, uh, but but I would want to throw the hat into the ring for Aaron Van Bissaka for uh, the one point uh, because, uh, of course, we are going to talk about it. But uh, man, the improvement he has shown after we were like screaming for him to get off the club uh, because uh, he might be surplus or something of that kind. the improvement and the dedication, uh, especially in the final third, which was not his strength, more of a weakness over the last few seasons for him to uh, come over that and uh, perform in the way he did, especially the dribbles around in the opponent box. It's 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 really fantastic. Yeah, no, no. Look hard. Dealing with a shout here in regards to Fred. I thought Fred during the game, I thought in regards to how tough it was, in regards to how the match sort of eventually unfolded with the 10 men, I thought Fred got through a lot of work and ultimately... Had a good game, so he's in with a shout there. He's gone Rashford too. George has Rashford too. I think someone else had Rashford as well. So, look, I think I'll pull rank just in regards to the match-winning goal. Uh, I think Marcus Rashford goes in there. And no, no, that's not to say Bruno's wasn't an important goal, but big goal by Marcus Rashford continues his fine form. So, look, I'll go Martinez and Rashford. But then in terms of one Bissaka and De Gea, um, I'll give you the honours for the point. I'll, I'll, I'll go for uh, one Bissaka. Now, look, the save from De Gea was right at him. Ultimately, it was a good save. But as Roy Keane would say, um, he's just doing his job. But in regards to what Juan Bissaka is doing, 100%, I think it's an interesting shout. Now, look, I do, in regards to the way we play, I think Diego Delo is ahead of Juan Bissaka in regards to an ideal situation. But we're not in an ideal situation at the moment because Delo has come back from an injury. So at the moment, Aaron Juan Bissaka is first choice and it'll be very interesting League Cup final 
um, if they're both fit and available, who he does go for. Because if Aaron Wan-Bissaka continues this form, the evidence we have from Eric Ten Hag when someone plays well he, is he rewards them. And it will be very interesting in terms of the way he'll want to play. You'd want Diego Delo there, but if Aaron Wan-Bissaka's performing, he will be first choice. George here, I'm sorry, but can't give De Gea points. Um, the big save was straight at him, and you could argue that he should have done better on that goal. I'm trying to think That's of the goal. That's typing, I guess. <laughs> Bruno Fernandes, uh, Bruno Fernandes is the one I wouldn't criticise for the goal, but I was thinking, oh, just get out. If he if he rushes off the post, that the guy would have been potentially offside. That's not to criticise Bruno. I just thought if there was someone to point a little bit of a finger at. And I think Bruno, as the guy strikes it, he, puts, he knows he's the one. If he does a little bit, not effort-wise, but just a little bit more aware of his surroundings and pushes up, he knows he's the one who could have played that guy offside. So, um, we had, uh, I remember the shot was a nice little finish by the guy, but um, Fred here for a point for so Yeah, look, I, I was impressed with Fred. A few um, a few sort of players will be a little bit hard done by not to get points, but we'll go Lissandro Martinez for three, who I don't have the rankings in front of me, but I think that will put him at the top. Um, Marcus Rashford will, will be very close behind, I think, for two points. And we'll go Aaron Wan-Bissaka for one, who, my God, he's climbing up the rankings as well. We'll give you an update maybe the next match on the three two ones, but um, Lissandro Martinez, I think, is definitely in the lead. Now, before we sort of wrap up and sort of look at the Premier League action bin, there was one talk. Well, I don't know if it's a talking point. It, um, it was another manager. I think it would have been a hell of a talking point. It was Jose Mourinho. But um, just your opinion and people in the live chat, I thought this was the moment, not, not the best moment of the match or the biggest moment, but I thought it was crucial. I absolutely loved it. And it's not to pick on Ganacho, but I thought it was absolutely the right de decision by Eric Ten Hag to take him off. As soon as we got that red card, I'm looking at the substitutes, I'm looking at the bench, I'm looking at what's on the field, I'm looking how the subs we've already made. I'm thinking the only thing, that the moment Casemiro got sent off, said the only thing Eric Ten Hag can do here is take Ganacho off. That's not to, because Ganacho is poor or anything, just in regards to the, the solutions we had to fix, you had to take Ganacho off. And I thought, is Eric Ten Hag going to do that? And I thought, look, Eric Ten Hag is a brave manager, as we've seen. I'm not sure he's going to do that. I think he's going to look for something else. And ultimately, he has done it. And I thought, in, and that's not to be critical of Ganacho, he's played a cr very crucial role in the goal. Well, played very well. But ultimately, it had to be done. And um, fair play to Eric Ten Hag. Um, he never sort of surprises me like in terms of I have full faith in him. But this one, I sort of was questioning it before. I think, oh, is he going to do it? And he did. And I thought, ultimately, he can, he, he can sit back now at the end of the day and say it was a match-winning substitution. Yes. Uh, and as you said, it takes a brave manager to do it. And... Uh... You know, and also uh, as I wouldn't, I wouldn't say anything negative about Garnacho. Of course, whatever right. that has happened during the preseason, it's a past. He has uh, moved on from it, and so did Tenag. And uh, he's been showing uh, his dedication and his hard work during the training. And also, he has come up with some really good performances for us in the games. Uh, it's it's a hard day for the lad, but again, I'm quite sure with him, uh, with with the group of individuals he is he is with right now. I'm quite sure he knows that uh, the team's performance and the team comes first over the individual. I'm quite sure this is not even going to be uh, really uh, uh, impacting him or he, will, he won't be even thinking about I'll it. i what I think happens now. now. Now call me this wings. I think the next game is, I think the two Leeds matches, I think the first one is at Old Trafford. I think the yeah. first one's Old Trafford midweek and then the weekend it's Ellen Road. So what I think will happen is, look, let's flip a coin. Let's fall on the side. We assume Anthony Martial won't be fit. So let's say it's Veghorst and Rashford up front. I think he might play Rashford through the middle and just give Ganacho a start. I think because Ganacho has been performing well when he's come on a little, little bit off the bench. So I just think in regards to not sort of shitting on Ganacho and sort of keeping him motivated and say, look, this was just a one-off incident, I think he could potentially reward him with um, maybe playing Marcus Rashford through the middle, give Veghorst a break. Because these two games against Leeds, you're going to have to rotate. 
So I'm just thinking, do you see a situation where Eriten Hag does that just from a personal aspect in regards to man management? Or do you think he'll push man management to the side and just look at what's better for the team over 90 minutes? I think he will... Uh, he, I, I believe he will look for what, what will be the best for the team over the 90 minutes. Uh, probably he'll give uh, Granacho more minutes than uh, he, he, he had probably been given all this while when he comes off as a substitute. But I think Ten Hag prioritizes... Though he's a very good man manager, I think he prioritizes the team yeah. over it. And with the amount of games that's going to be coming uh, United's way, so I believe Ganacho will give his get his chance eventually to be part of the starting lineup, which might be in a week or two. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, if you did like that substitution by Ertenal, please do leave a like on the video and definitely leave a like before our next topic. Manchester United climb the ladder, winning games, playing good football. That's brilliant. We're in a cup final in a couple of weeks. Absolutely brilliant. First things first, what club do we want to start? We'll start with the start of the day. Uh, well, the start of the match round. It was on the day before. Chelsea, um, I don't know how much money they spent. Um, the £100 million signing in Lukaku is not even at the club. No one's mentioning that signing. Um, but Enzo Fernandez played all these. I don't think Joe Felix was he even on the bench. I didn't even see him on the pitch. I'm not sure. The Joe, oh, he might have still been suspended potentially. That loan is going well. But um, Chelsea at home to Fulham. Couldn't break them down. Nil-nil draw with Fulham. Um, but the, again, the, the reason I bring that up is because it's not a surprise. Years ago, if Fulham got a point at Stanford Bridge, it would be a surprise. What, what's happened here? Well, a shock shock result. This one, you think, ultimately, it's a bit of a shock Fulham didn't beat them. And I'm just thinking, ultimately, just make sum up your thoughts in regards to Chelsea currently, in regards to they have dominated the headlines, and rightly so, in regards to the transfer window. But it, I, I was watching that match. I got up early Saturday morning. I was watching. I'm thinking, yeah, I don't, I don't think Chelsea going to win this. And I've never been in that position in the last 20 years. Chelsea down to Fulham going, yeah, no, Fulham, Fulham are quite comfortable here. Yeah, I mean, uh, Fulham just beat them, uh, I think, three or four yeah, weeks ago. And, so. and yeah, and, 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 and of course, it was uh, away for Chelsea. And Chelsea didn't sign most of the starting 11 they, they, they played uh, that game, I believe, because they just keep signing every team every during every window, every other team uh, during the window. So I expected Chelsea to uh, at least... Come up with three points, but again, <laughs> I don't. I don't really care. Uh, really, well, just, like, just on this, Dion brings up. I feel for. I almost feel no, for. I don't. Graham Potter. I don't. I, I don't. I agree with you. I don't, and I'm sure Dion feels the same. But in regards to, I don't because he's taken the job and he's going to be very well paid for the job. But ultimately, I kind of, yeah, do like the line from Chelsea is coming out, and he that he's um being involved in the negotiations and the selection of players, ultimately, that's not the case. No manager wants a squad this size. He he doesn't want the baggage of five or 100 million player, two 70 million pound players. He doesn't want the baggage of that. It's too big squad. Eric Ten Hag was questioned about it, saying, I prefer not to work with a big squad. In regards to what Graham Arnold, uh, Graham Arnold, Graham Potter has done at Brighton, coming into Chelsea, he'd want a sort of a smooth transition. It's simply not that. And I'm just thinking it's not what Graham Potter wants. And ultimately, yes, I don't feel sorry for him. I know none of us feel sorry for him. But from a full footballing point of view, you think he's, he's done no favours by his owner. So when he accepted the job, he knew what was going to be happening. I mean, when he... Not, not to this... Job, do you think to this extent, though? I mean, they just went ahead and sacked the manager who uh, <laughs> who won them the Champions League and then signed a bucket load of players over the summer. Right? But this type and, of investment, like he's bring, they're bringing in players like for eight-year contracts, and I'm just thinking, yeah. oh, ultimately, that's a discussion for another day in regards to how that unfolds. But from the manager managing this group of players, I'm thinking it's not a 
he's a football manager. That's what we knew. What's a, that's what we knew of him at Brighton. He, he was about football. He was about coaching. Now he's coming into this absolute circus. It's not a football team. It's a football business, and that's not his job. But he's been asked to deal with it. So they have scored like uh, two goals over the last six games, right? No matter how good your coaching is, how, how what kind of players you have in at at, at your disposal. You, I mean, if you are really a good manager and if you can coach or, or if you are a better coach, you can, of course, make someone to score one goal or come up with a play that allows them to, you know, win a game or something. I mean, I know that he might not be making most of the decisions What uh, when, when Todd's out there signing checks left, right and center. He might not be making one of the major decisions or he might not be getting the players he actually wanted. But again, some of the uh, players that are at his disposal are like really, really good ones. They got Enzo Fernandez, uh, who who's, who was playing his first game. Again, I, I didn't expect a lot from him. But you've got Mason Mount, Kai Havertz, who's been playing uh, for Chelsea and also in the Premier League for a good amount of time. And you got Raheem Sterling on the bench, who's a seasoned uh, performer, more like a veteran in the Chelsea squad. So for for... A manager or a coach unable to get a team to score a goal, let alone winning a game, uh, I, I think it's just an excuse from my end. I know I have my dislike for Chelsea. Of course, everyone does. But I, I, I don't really feel, uh, really, I, I, I don't have that empathy for Potter. Because at the end of the day, if you, don't find, if you don't get players and then you play like that, you might have some empathy. But you have players who can play in any part of the pitch and yet you are not even you know scoring a goal or winning a game so that's yeah. that's that's a problem pat for me yeah now look long made that continue absolutely no sympathy for potter but yeah just from a footballing aspect it is an interesting sort of dynamic now we'll stay in london because i do want to spend a little bit of time on liverpool but we'll stay in london at the top of the end of the table where manchester united are with arsenal we did creep a little bit closer to arsenal now they do have a game in hand but they had a, the early kickoff on saturday now, ultimately, this is a game in, in recent years. You thought, yeah, wait, Goodison Park, Arsenal will drop points here very likely. And over the last couple of years, they have. I think Goodison Park's been one of their bogey grounds. But this one, this was the time where Everton have been shocking and Arsenal have been sort of proving people wrong in terms of sort of sort of getting over hurdles they've sort of previously failed at. So this one, you thought, yeah, Arsenal actually, you can see them actually getting over their bogey ground here and beating Everton. But ultimately, I watched that match in the first five minutes. It, it looked like an old-school Everton v Arsenal match where Everton were up for it and Arsenal weren't. Now, Arsenal in previous games this season have shown they have matured and sort of have something a little bit more about them to deal with those type of games. But this one was a bit of a throwback to the old Arsenal. Now, that's not to say it might just be a blip. Uh, very well likely could be a blip. And um, they'll, they'll bounce back. That'll be the sign of champions if they are. But ultimately... It did show that Arsenal are still, at the end of the day, um, they still have the players who have failed them before. And hopefully, from our point of view, well, if we want them to win the league or not, that's another debate. But um, it looked like uh, it looked like the Arsenal win you. So, yeah, it, it 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 looked like Arsenal would win. And then I remembered, like, it's Sean Dyke's uh, first game. Uh, Everton got a new manager. Mount, that, that obviously played a part in it, yeah. And Everton's been woefully bad. Uh, and uh, he... Dyke came up with his... It was a masterclass of a performance. It's like Dyke's own masterclass out there. And uh, the moment I I, rec I recollected, like, okay, Arsenal are playing Everton, I, I, I just shared in the group chat, like, I, I see Everton winning this game. Because with this needed... With, with the Arsenal's current form of winning consistently for over a period of time, if they lose, it, uh, 
any other to any other team apart from Man City, this was one team which I could feel like, okay, a lot of things are written on the cards. Everton down, underperforming for the last six months. Uh, fans are unhappy. We got a new manager who is defensive, defensively strong. So I thought, like, yeah, we, they might going to be winning it, and that's what happened. What 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 a performance from Everton, though. Uh, you talk about yeah. a masterclass, and a few people here, Dion here, which yeah, it was my feeling going into the match, or my hope going into the match. Put this down, and the manager bounce. Sally as well, new manager bounce well and truly alive in that match. You say masterclass, and yes, I'm sure everyone's watched the video of um, Sean Dyche when he, he did that masterclass video against um, Burnley against Liverpool. It's one of those things, yes, we can sit here and say masterclass. However, I've played, football, I've played many years with Sully in regards to the basics in terms of setting up a team. It's not a masterclass. It's very basic. And it'll like be, be most basic in terms of stay tight, shift across, and simply work. The Everton players, that's what I said after the five minutes, they just ran. And it's simply, it's simply the case you can see the difference with Manchester United this year and last year. It's work rate. Now, the manager has to get that out of them. The players have to get them out of themselves. But it's not this Pep Guardiola or Antonio Conte, Claudio, um, all these managers sort of a tactical mascot. It's not. It's stay in your position. The ball's there. Close it down. If you're not involved, come shift across. Keep the sort of lines close. That's all it was. Now, yes, it looks like a masterclass compared to what it has been, and it did stifle Arsenal. But it goes back to the sort of... Football is a very simple game. It's complicated by many idiots, but it is a very simple game at its core. Exactly. So uh, that's what that's what all these uh, new age managers who come up with their, of course, they're all very well reputed and good. And I'm just out here talking about it. Uh, when they come in, they they every every of the performance they come with tactics and everything. But at the end of the day, it's all about doing things simple, right? Like that's what the great uh, late great uh, Johan Cruyff. I'd mentioned football is all about doing things simple. If you complicate it, the plan is out of the window, and that's what they did. And the way they targeted, uh, the way they targeted the Arsenal defense, and especially with the long balls or probably the crosses, it's 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 it's, it's that's how that's Everton's strengths, right? Like when over the last few games when I watched Everton play, they were not utilizing the players to their uh, to their mm-hmm. strengths, and it's all about utilizing your strengths, playing it simple, and don't complicate it. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, my intent is a little bit choppy, so apologies if, not. if I do drop out, Vin, just pick a comment or two to waffle on and I'll bounce back in. But in regards to my favourite part of the weekend, yes, Manchester United won, but Wolves 3, Liverpool nil. Now, ultimately, again, I'll go back into the Chelsea argument. Yeah, I thought Fulham could get a point from this. Going into this Wolves against Liverpool, I thought, yeah, Wolves should win this. I'm just thinking that is a beautiful feeling as a Manchester United fan because so far over recent seasons, Liverpool against Wolves, you thought, yeah, Salah will score a hat-trick. Salah will score a couple, Mane will get a couple, four or five nil. Ultimately, now we're thinking Wolves will, will go and sort of beat them quite comfortably, and they did. And I'm just thinking we have to enjoy this as Man United fans. I think we're overlooking it and just enjoying what's happening at Old Trafford, which, of course, brilliant. That's all we can control and all we can sort of look forward to. But think of where we have been the last couple of years and how sort of much Liverpool have given towards us. We have to enjoy what is happening at Liverpool because I'm really looking at it and seeing real signs of what we went through. And I'm telling you, in terms of, I've looked at the contract situation and everything regarding the makeup of their squad. They were in a mess. They're in a big mess. It's going to be a lot worse at Liverpool. And that um, that fills me with so much joy, Vin. Uh, yeah, absolutely. But but again, um, I'm not really, uh, really hyped, hyped about like their underperformance right now. Because we were in that same position for a good amount of time. And right well, now... Life's short. Just, life's short, Vin. Yeah. Life is too short. Enjoy it when it's here. You know, don't know exactly. what's coming tomorrow. I, I understand that. But right now, I'm so happy and content about the way United are performing. I yes. don't really... I'm, I'm not I'm not feeding off 
the loss what Liverpool is going through. I love I'm loving it to be honest, but I'm mm. not like overhyping it or I'm not talking about it every now and then. But I think Klopp's running out of the excuses uh, every time he loses. It's happening in the press conferences now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I saw that. Uh, I saw that video where it's like, I don't think so. I want to give you an answer. What, what kind of uh, manager? I mean, who, who who talks like that? And even well, that, that, that that journalist wrote something about he criticised the coaching staff a couple of weeks ago, and Jurgen's obviously read the article, and he got a different journalist to ask the same question. It was just yeah, it was petulant. Absolutely, and and the thing is, like with Klopp being such a media darling, we we don't hear anything against him or against his club or against their players. That's the sad part about it. I mean, if um, if if it was United and let's say if it was someone else or so, even even Tenag, I'm quite sure he his his uh, he, his head would be in the guillotine right now, <laughs> asking it to be chopped off. So I don't understand the double standards the whole media plays in the UK. Yeah, but again, sure. as fans, we just need to just like, you know, love it when it's happening, but also be content with what's actually going on at your field because you don't know when tables can turn. But you were right. Their contracts are a mess. Uh, they are signing players for 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 huge amounts. And again, and, and yet <laughs> Klopp comes out and say and complains about uh, the money United, City and Chelsea are spending. They are also spending the same amount of money or probably less than that. But it's not like they're not spending at all. No. So the excuses, the wind, the factor, the pitch, the, the sprinklers being turned on. I think he's running out of excuses. I think he should. On Jurgen Klopp. On Jurgen Klopp. Look, now, look, we can have fun. And of course, we are. Like we're currently doing it. And rightly so. Ultimately, we have to look back at what Klopp has done and for, for how Liverpool fans would feel towards him. Could you imagine a manager who did that at Man United? Obviously, Jurgen Klopp has um, sort of crazy amount of credit in the bank with Liverpool fans, and rightly so. So I don't expect Liverpool fans to turn on him and ask for his head or want him sacked, and I don't think Liverpool should sack him in regards to what he has achieved. Well, we can have fun and sort of say, yeah, sack him, sacked in the morning. Ultimately, in regards to what he's done at Liverpool, fair play to him. But Sully here brings up the point, in regards to him, make a good job, um, good manager when they do get relegated. What is the situation with Klopp, though? Because, yes, I look at it, if I'm a Liverpool fan, say, you, you couldn't sack him. That's like Australia Ferguson having a bad season, say you need to sack him. They can't be in that position. That, that shouldn't happen as, as much as as much banter as we throw. However, they are in the bottom half of the table, I think. They are closer to relegation than they are at the top. Now, again, that's not cause for him to be sacked. But is there a situation where they lose one or two more games? They, obviously, they're not going to get in a relegation battle. But is there a situation where they do potentially look at um, replacing the manager? Uh, I, I think there will be a time when they'll be replacing the manager because A, uh, Liverpool is up for sale. So there is a huge chance he might not get backing in the coming summer. Also, he is actually coming to seven years, end of seven years uh, with Liverpool. And if we look at the time he spent at Dortmund and compare it with Liverpool, it's actually the replica overperformed the initial uh, initial few years. And after that, it's just a stagnant decline. Uh, I think that's and, a natural thing as well. Like uh, Ferguson was an anomaly. Like that, that, those things, that longevity shouldn't happen. Like yeah. it's like any workplace, you stay there uh, too long, it's things are going to get stale. And that's not to be critical. That's just the cycle. So I, I, there are two things can happen this this season, right? Like both uh, both Liverpool and Chelsea will not finish in the Europa League places or the uh, the other league uh, conference league places. So they can get a free run in the league next season, and uh, they'll probably qualify for top four. There might be a rebuild FC again. Uh, 
or else Klopp will say, okay, I'm done. Uh, you don't have to sack me. I'll mutually terminate my contract. I'll just go ahead. And uh, very real possibility. Very real, yeah. I think, that. And look, look, I don't want anything good to happen to Liverpool or, or anything like that. But from a football point of view, if I was a Liverpool fan, that's almost what you'd want in terms of Jurgen Klopp sort of to say, look, I've taken this club as far as I can. Thanks for the memories. Time for someone else. Uh, I think that is potentially what is going to happen. How many, how many trophies has Klopp won for Liverpool? I mean, like, of course, they got they got this Champions League and the Premier League. No one watched uh, on from the yeah. audience. Yeah, that, that one doesn't count. <laughs> look, you got a few. And an FA Cup or two FA I Cups. Think got a, I think got a few cups, like maybe one or two League Cups, one or two FA Cups. Then ultimately, so he's probably sitting on six or seven trophies. I assume four of those came in two seasons. I yeah, think. But, six, um, seven trophies in seven years. Okay, fine. All right. Oh, look, I, I don't know. Um, not enough. Uh, he's going to lose his job, hopefully. And I have no love loss for Jurgen Klopp. But um, just, as I said, as Man United fans, Vince, right, we, we enjoy what's happening at Manchester United. And that is all that should be our focus, of course. However, sit back and just enjoy what is happening at Liverpool. You have Because you, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Man United go and lose their next 10 games. And then we won't be in, in any position to laugh at other clubs. What, when we are in a position to laugh at Liverpool and Chelsea, take it. Because you can bet your bottom dollar they would. So just it's not it's not sort of tagging your eye off the ball or being obsessed with rivals, but you do. I'm, I'm taking great joy in Liverpool's demise. But before we sort of start to wrap up, Vin, um, is there anything else Manchester United related that sort of caught your eye over the weekend? It was performance related or any individuals you want to touch on before we wrap up? Uh, not really. It's just uh, uh, I, I'm quite sure you might have discussed about the transfer deadline day uh, when United were offered a few players, but Ten Hag went for the player. He wasn't really offered and they kind of jumped onto it right away. And if it was the previous management, I mean, it was if it was by, like, let's say it was Edward Wood or someone else managing the team, there might be a huge possibility they would have said, yes, uh, Isco, yeah, he won the Champions League yeah. for Real Madrid. We'll probably take him. So th there might be a possibility that, was, that would have happened. So uh, this kind of gives me some good positive vibes about what the management and everyone here... Uh, are are going through right now. There is this positivity, and they know the they know what they have to do. At least I believe they have some sense before they make some decisions. Uh, but again, it's it's just been two transfer windows, a uh, few more, and then that that will cement the whole uh, statement. What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, no, look, there's no doubt the Glazers are still our owners. Now, hopefully in a few months that, that picture changes and we have a different discussion about new owners. And while there is such a positive feeling around Man United at the moment, as I said, football can change very quickly and we get two or three bad results, we'll turn. Now, obviously, I think people in the live chat, yourself and a lot of sort of level-headed Man United fans will realise that you can't sort of go in on the manager or the players at the moment. They've given us very, a very good performance this season. But ultimately... The flaws are still there with the club. And ultimately, long-term, now Ten Hag is working an absolute miracle, but long-term, you qualify for the Champions League. If the Glazers were in charge, that investment would stop and the manager would be sort of falling into the same pitfalls as Jose Mourinho, Louis Van Gaal, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer all fell into. So there is this huge sort of positive feeling, but it is sort of you are handcuffed as a fan while the Glazers are still there sort of worried about what is going to happen. But I think that just is a testament to the job Ten Hag is doing in terms of you look at Sir Alex Ferguson, he's not sort of through any choice of his own, but he protected the Glazers through success. If Eric Ten Hag is working these miracles, people will shut up. But fingers crossed we do have new owners in a couple of months. It does look like one or two reports say the bid, bidding process is underway in the aspect that bids will be in by the end of the month or the end of the next month. So I'm sure there will be more information in regards to that. Now, just before we do wrap up, 
Sally here in regards to the De Gea post on his Insta. I think that was in regards to the VAR saying he didn't want to comment on it, but obviously saying that it was the wrong decision. And George here gives a bit more detail, George, unless you know Vin here in regards to, did you hear about the gag poster? I think this was in regards to Rude Van Nistroy. Is that right, George? Let me know. We'll wrap up on that. I think there was a post or I saw a post. I don't know how accurate it was, but it looked like a quote from Rude Van Nistroy was questioned, obviously, the PSV manager about the Gakpo move to Liverpool, and he was saying, look, he did want to go to Manchester United, but no, I think that I didn't read the whole quote, but along the lines of Manchester United sort of didn't get the deal done, the Liverpool sort of pounced in and got the job done. So just your thoughts on Gakpo to Liverpool. We'll quickly wrap up, because that's enough on Liverpool, but just Gakpo, ultimately, here's a play we thought, yeah, here's Eretan Hugs, man, go get him. Now we're watching him fail at Liverpool, which is beautiful, but um, just your thoughts on the individual. Is he just in a situation where any player's going to sort of take time because of the mess they're in? Uh, absolutely. Uh, not not everyone's a Bruno Fernandes who can come in and uh, take 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 the team to the next level, um, at least for the first few months initially when he was performing week after week. Uh, Gakpo, I, I, I saw him play during the World Cup. He was pretty good. But uh, yeah, he was really, he, he might have been a bit surplus to the team. Of course, now if I consider we have Martial, uh, if not injured, we got Vegorst, and, and now I would say he might be surplus to the team. But again, United don't have the money right now. So spending 35 to 40 million for a player uh, is, is, is a bit is a, is, is a bit off. It, it's a bit off limits for United. Uh, but Gakpo not playing for Liverpool. I mean, the moment he donned the Liverpool shirt, I really don't care for him anymore. Yeah. So that's that's the easy way. So yeah. Well, when I was watching at the World Cup and watching YouTube highlights, you, you kind of look into him and like Instagram, and you think, oh, yeah, Gakpo looks like a nice guy. Yeah, if he joins Man United, get behind him. Now you actually see him in a Liverpool shirt. You actually sort of, you don't like the look of him now. He does look like a guy I didn't sort of, you wouldn't want to sort of have a chat with. So I'm um, long may he's Baron Runners. Um, SJ puts in the comments, continues. And um, yeah, we'll finish on this one. So here, let's pray this long lasting drought for Liverpool. It's been a painful few, few years listening to their fans. The fans have gone quiet. So if you do have any sort of good clips of any Liverpool fans losing their shit, please do tag me in them because I do enjoy that. But um has been an enjoyable podcast. If you are happy with Man United situation and Liverpool's, please leave a like on the video. Subscribe if you're new and make sure you are subscribed because Today, the 5th of February, is 65 years since Manchester United played or the Busby Bays played their last game together. They played in 3-3 draw against um, Red Star Belgrade. I'll bring the photo up here of their last ever match. Um, here they are before that 3-3 draw. Dennis Violet um, scored a goal and Sir Bobby Charlton scored two goals in that 3-3 draw. Um, both were survivors in the crash the following day. But this is a photo of their last match. So this time tomorrow, not sure exactly what we'll do, but about this time tomorrow, either 8.30pm or 9.30pm Australian time, We'll go live. Uh, make sure you do go back on our podcast app or a year ago on YouTube. We did sort of have a bit of a tribute to the Munich air disaster and went through all their plays and their stories. But um, we won't sort of do the same thing and just sort of rehash their stories, everything. I think we might sort of find a different angle and one or two sort of topics to dis discuss and sort of look back on. But um, it is a huge part of Manchester United. I do go back and sort of look at sort of why we support this club and ultimately it's not about the trophies it's about stories like this and it's a huge part of manchester united so tomorrow we won't be discussing transfers or footballs or tactics or liverpool or anything we'll go back and um if anyone wants to come on the stream and share any stories or any information they do have or any insight uh, feel free i can send you a link and anyone can jump on i'm not sure what larry's situation is tomorrow but um i just want to get on and just sort of discuss a huge part of manchester united Vin. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of one of the main reasons uh, we continuously support because there is always this story and there is this history behind the club, uh, which which uh, I really hope some of the young individuals currently playing for the club recollect 
what actually these fallen heroes have went through. And um, and, and and I really uh, I really hope everyone gets some strength. Uh, the families again during this time, it's a very pivotal time of period for them. Um, so I just hope they get some strength. And do you think, Soda and Opti, uh, yeah. agree one hundred percent? Do you think, in regards to, I remember years ago, Jose Mourinho was the manager, and it was the sixtieth anniversary. Obviously, remember the huge sort of um, sort of tributes and everything back in the 50th anniversary um, in 2008, um, obviously that Manchester derby, but uh, the 60th anniversary, Jose Mourinho was in charge and there was an event inside Old Trafford where all the players were present. Now, I think this should be done every season, not just on these big anniversaries. I think it should be every season. The players should be involved in some type of tribute or ceremony, but you can understand okay, it's a big business, that sort of thing. But in terms of that 60th anniversary under Jose Mourinho, all the players were there. There was a stage inside Old Trafford and they had their ceremony. Do you think Eric Ten Hag or the club... Who knows? It might be out of Eric Ten Hag's control. Who knows? And I'm not sure what the club's duties are and the player's schedule. I understand it is a very tricky business. But I would like to see, and I'll kind of expect Eric Ten Hag, I'm not going to criticise him if he doesn't, or it might be out of his hands. But could you see a situation where we do see something a little bit more visible from the managers and players tomorrow? Yeah, uh, I, I, I do. I do think it, it's a possibility, even though they are going through some very strenuous game runs right now, uh, game every three days. But I do see that because they know how much it is important for the players and the management to do something where they represent the club in a in a, in a current way. And uh, another uh, reason is like Eric Ten Hag is a Dutch individual, which is very much, and he comes from a very royal lineage, which means he knows the values and the tradition. He might be very much uh, keen to hold on to the customs and traditions out of it. And also he's coming from Ajax, which was again, rich in history, rich in tradition. So coming from one club to another club, I think he will still stick to that tradition and I, I won't be surprised if he or some of the players probably Bruno will make an appearance somewhere and uh, talk about it. I really think they should and look uh, again who knows the logistics and what the players schedules are and what's happening at Old Trafford it, it might be something that's uh, not achievable but I, I would like to see and I think also a very important thing in regards to players who'll come in and hit the ground running in regards to your Martinez and Casemiro but the feel good fi the feel good feeling around Manchester United at the moment in regards to the connection between players and fans I think this is something, while unfortunately a very sad sort of thing to look back on and remember, can prove a little bit of a catalyst in sort of a reminder. You think of a young player like Anthony or a new player like Casemiro who's done it all on the world stage at one of the greatest clubs in Real Madrid to sort of remember where they are and what they are playing for. As my dog has a little bit of a fit, he's right. But in terms of what they are playing for and who they are representing, like you think of Alessandro Martinez, I think he's someone who buys into what Manchester United fans are about. I think if he can come across something like this and can be educated like Patrice Evra and players like that all were, I think that is something that would fuel sort of sort of a kickstart in regards to sort of going to the next level in regards to Man United. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think uh, something of this has happened in the past as well, which kind of uh, acted as a catalyst for the players to win uh, a particular game. I think it was, uh, I heard it from Darren Fletcher in one of his uh, interviews where uh, they brought Bobby Charlton in uh, before. I, I think that was the 50th. I might bring it tomorrow, but I've got a good tribute to that 50th anniversary. It was the Manchester Derby where they wore the um, logo or the kits with no yeah, logos. Yeah, and, and it was one of the ones Ryan Giggs spoke about. Ryan Giggs and Gary Neville spoke about it. He said they never used to get nervous before matches, but Sir Bobby Charlton came in and this whole thing about the anniversary and the 50th, 50 years on, 
And he said the players just just froze. Like that wasn't Manchester City like they are now. That was when Manchester City were quite poor back in yeah. two thousand and eight. But Manchester City unfortunately beat us two one. Great occasion at Old Trafford, but unfortunately didn't get the result. The time um, the players said that that year they felt what it meant, and they ultimately I don't want to say bottle it, but um they they felt to the sort of the weight of it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So yeah, so it 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 will act as a catalyst, but again, uh, I I really hope it doesn't creep any nervousness into the players, but which I don't think so. The current crop has any nerves to deal with. Not saying Gary Neville and uh, Ryan Giggs uh, were inexperienced with the nerves, but. Uh, yeah, it's it's not it's it is indeed an anniversary. It's a sixty fifth, uh, but uh, I, I I really hope this invigorates something within the teams, within the individual, within the management, to say like, okay, we got a cup final coming in. So first step, let's go and win it. Yeah, well, you speak about cup finals in terms of unfortunately after this crash, Manchester United were forced to play very soon after, and obviously couldn't field a team, and it was put on some at Busby and Jimmy Murphy to field a team of very young players. And they went on to make the FA Cup final. Unfortunately, lost to Bolton later that season. But um, what a fabulous story that was. And um, it would be so fitting to sort of to, to, for Eric Ten Hag to win a trophy this season in the anniversary of Munich because I think he's sort of handled his position at Manchester United impeccably on and off the field. And um, as I say, I think he is someone who, not that the other managers didn't respect this anniversary, but I think Eric Ten Hag definitely will. And I w- would like to see something very visible from the club um, on the 6th of February. But I'll go back to that and we'll, we'll discuss that in more detail tomorrow. So if you do want to get involved tomorrow, um, send me a message and we'll send you the link and you can come on and have your say. But if not, just join us in the live chat. But I always go back to, look, this was 30 years before I was born. Then I was born in 88. This was um, in 1958. So I wasn't around when this happened, but I look back and it is the reason I support Manchester United, which makes no sense because my first reason should be my first memory, the red shirt or the first game or everything. But I look back, once you sort of get over those first sort of experiences of Man United fan and you research the club and you look back, I'll go back and I put all that stuff to the side. The true reason I do support the club or love the club is off the back, unfortunately, through tragedy. Unfortunately, that is the case. But it is the reason I support Manchester United. It is off the back of the Munich air disaster. Coming back from tragedies, never say die spirit, always giving 100%. That's what United is for. Uh, 100% good way to finish. So as I said, in about 24 hours, we'll be back live. Um, come and sort of raise a glass to the Busby Babes and um, we'll chat to you then tomorrow. Until then, have a good day and um, we'll chat to you soon. Cheers.